Hope you guys are doing well. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, so grab your Bible, get over to Matthew chapter 6. And who is excited that we have children's ministry back going? Let's give them a hand over there. I don't think they can hear you. Yes, children's ministry over in the... Uh, you know you've got to overcome those kids. Uh, they're screaming. We have an amazing children's team, as you know, over there, an amazing group of volunteers. So thank you guys uh, for jumping into this service and entrusting your kids to them. And uh, man, uh, they are going to learn the Word of God and grow in their relationship with God so you can know uh, with confidence the character of those people leading um, your kids over in that space. I'm going to read a little bit from Matthew chapter 6. Pray for us one more time and we will jump in. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that by they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that you... Um, have met us in this place. And Lord, as we open up your word, I I, I pray that we would actually become a people of deep prayer. Not that we would just read about prayer and, and get some tips as to how do we might pray better, but that we would actually be deeply rooted in your word and deeply committed to prayer because we know that the power of God comes through humble people of prayer. So Lord, I pray that you would let these words go beyond um, my speech, but they would penetrate into our hearts that we might grow to be the type of people you need us to be so that this church can do the things you need it to do, that your fame, your glory, your renown would go through the world. And you would start with a transformation of us right here in this place. We love you and we're asking big things from you. And we know that you're more than capable. So God, change us in this moment by your power. Amen. Well, my name is Kevin Barrett. We haven't met personally. I'm the lead pastor here at Tomball. And, and I, I've loved going through the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's brought to my mind like a remembrance of things. The foundations of the Christian faith. And, and I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, we went to church growing up. But... I never really had a relationship with Jesus until I got to college. And, and, and I grew up doing the Christian things, you know, doing the normal Christian routines, but none of those routine, routines changed me. None of those routines gave me a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. They just became simple routines. And when I got to college, something changed, like something dramatic happened. 
Um, the, the first one was this, that I saw people my own age sold out for Jesus. I mean, really sold out for Jesus. Not that they knew the Christian things to do, but you saw a vitality in the relationship with Jesus Christ. And that vitality struck me. I was like, I, I want what they have. The second piece was this, that, that I saw people talking about Jesus like he was real and present in their lives. I mean, not, not, not general prayers of, of heavenly father who might exist in some deistic form, like, but no, like, like conversations about Jesus, like they had just had a conversation with him and they're telling me about their relationship with this very real and vibrant person. And the third piece was this, that I began to see God answer the prayers that I prayed. That, that God was alive and active in my life. That my prayers seem to go beyond the ceiling. I mean, I think we've all had moments where we've wondered, um, can anyone hear my prayer? Like, am I talking to anything beyond the ceiling? But, but God began answering my prayers, and some of them were so simple. I, I, I remember I, I grew up, and I, was, I ran track in college, and so I'd be hanging out with a bunch of track guys that were not chasing Jesus. They were chasing other things, like figuratively and literally, they were chasing other things. And I just started praying, God, give me some Christian friends. Like, give me some boys around me that love the Lord. And graciously, God gave me these group of guys that for the next three or four years of college, we had a small group together and, and grew in our relationship together. And, and God, over and over and over again, would, would start answering my prayers. And let me tell you this. When a transcendent God interacts with an individual life, life gets fun. When a transcendent God interacts with an individual life, that's when life gets fun. That's when life gets exciting. When you see people get saved, when you see people changed by the work of God in their individual life, and when you hear that your prayers are answered, let me tell you what, life is exciting. And that's the type of God that I worship, and that's the type of God that wants to have a relationship and work through your life. And the greatest source of intimacy and impact in a Christian life is through the power of prayer. Through the power of prayer. Oswald Chambers says it this way. We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to resolve matters in his good time because his idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. I mean, have you ever been there? Where, where you want God to do something, you want God to move, but, but you feel like, I, I don't want to wait, I just want to act. And here's what God says. If you want to have sustained faith, if you want to see sustained victories, if you want to see sustained Christian um, power, it comes through the process of prayer. And I want this church, I don't know what you want for this church, I want for this church to be a people of prayer, a people that are dramatically dependent on God because if, we, if God is moving in our midst, we will see amazing, thing happen, amazing things happen. In this section of scripture, there's three movements that Jesus walks through. The first is this, um, powerless prayers. Um, it's possible to pray ineffective prayers. And you'd be like, Kevin, is it really possible? Doesn't God hear everything? Well, Jesus is gonna say no. It's possible to have ineffective prayers. So later on, you can be mad at Jesus for his words, okay? Secondly, he gives us a template for powerful prayer through the Lord's Prayer. 
And thirdly, he gives us a barrier. Why do our prayers um, not go very far? What's the barrier to effective prayer? And so he starts with this powerless prayer. When your prayers don't go beyond the ceiling. And he gives the template. Like this is what happens that you can ensure your prayers won't go beyond the ceiling. He says it this way in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners. That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward in full. Now, last week, um, the three of our three uh, lead pastors transitioned campuses. I went over to Spring Branch. Johnny Marks came uh, here to the uh, Tomball campus, and Icky went over to the um, the Cypress campus. And just so you guys know, that that is a that's a, a random thing. It's not a consistent thing. Well, I, I will be consistently here in this place. Although Billy's going to preach for us next week, and I'm so excited to have Billy lead us this next week. He's gonna he's gonna bring it. He's gonna be amazing. Um, but, 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 that, that was right. but what I loved about doing that was it shows the unity of our, of our body. Love those men. But also, uh, it, it shows a little bit of perspective on the scripture. And, and what I emphasized um, when I was speaking at the Spring Branch campus is the, is the issue that Jesus is addressing. He says, you're practicing your, your, your moments of righteousness. Last week, we looked at uh, giving. This week, we're looking at prayer. And he says, what can happen, what can tend to happen is that you take those, those practices about your relationship with God and you can make it a performance. You can make it a show. And he uses the word in this section of hypocrite. A hypocrite is an actor, a Greek actor. Now, Greek actors, they didn't, um, they didn't, actors today, they have beautiful faces and beautiful bodies and they stand up and they're like, aren't I amazing? Uh, Greek actors wouldn't do that. They would wear masks. And so they, you would have a different character with a different mask. And so you wouldn't really know who the actor was. You would just see their performance and their covered face. And what Jesus is saying is this. When you're coming into my presence, when you're standing up there praying, I don't know who I'm dealing with because you're putting on a show. You're standing in public places and you're putting on this performance. It, you're pretending like you're intimate with God, but you're actually not. He says you're doing it in order to be seen. That word to be seen in Greek is the word, um, it starts with the word pho. It's where we get our, our word for light or photosynthesis or photography. It's, it's the light. It's, it starts with, with pho. And he's saying this, you're doing your public prayer so that the spotlight will be on you. You're practicing your righteousness so just so you'll look good in front of others. He says, if you're going to have a show about your faith, he says, that's your only reward. So if you stand up and pray and you want to use eloquent, amazing words and, and sound powerful, God says, yeah, okay, if that's what you want, that's the only thing you're going to get. If you're standing and praying to be seen, Jesus says, that's that is an ineffective prayer, and your reward is that moment. Your prayer won't go beyond the ceiling. He says, instead, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He's not saying don't never pray publicly. I mean, we are praying publicly in this moment. He's, saying, he's not saying don't pray publicly. He's saying this. Private devotion should always precede public declaration. 
Your private devotional life with God should precede everything that you do out here. And if you are not privately devoted to Jesus Christ and developing a, a cultivating a heart for the Lord, don't do it on stage and feel like I'm honoring that. He says, you need to be privately devoted to the Lord growing. So you go privately and you say, Lord, work in me, change me, deal with me before you ever take the stage. So the first is this, when, it become, when prayer becomes a performance. Secondly, when your prayers are empty. Verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He says the second piece of ineffective prayer is this, when you're heaping up words needlessly, when you're throwing out phrases, and, and it's the Greek word where we get the word babble, it's batalego, which means, it basically means like babble, 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 babble. And he's saying what would happen is that people would just heap up empty phrases hoping to sound spiritual, hoping that God would hear them. And, and let me just be honest, Christians, some of us are guilty of this. Okay, so I'm going to poke a finger at us in a moment. So is this a safe place? Can this be a safe place? Okay, just say I, if it can be a safe place. Safe place? All right. Um, Kevin can poke his finger at me, say, okay. okay. I'm, not, I'm not convinced. <laughs> all right, can the Lord deal with us in this moment? Just say yes. yes. All right, all right, all right. So here, there's some people, and you love Jesus, okay? You love Jesus. But for some of us, as we pray, we're reciting patterns we heard with no substance, okay? One group of people might be, I'm trying to be sensitive, the Father God folks, okay? So you love Jesus, but Father God is, is your comma or your pause button, right? It's like, Father God, thank you for the day. Father God, that you'd be with us. Father God, Father God. Father. And, and it's just like, and it's, it's, you're moving at every moment and, and, and you're, you have a genuine heart, but, but it's, it becomes a filler word and it's an empty word and it sounds spiritual, but it, but it may lack depth for some of you. Some of you do the same thing with Jesus. Like Jesus becomes your, like your comma between every phrase. Jesus, thank you, Jesus, Jesus. And it just becomes like this filler word needlessly. Or we pray phrases that, that may not have substance to us. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tread lightly, okay? Be sweet, be sweet to me. Um, some of us pray for hedges of protection. And we want foliage around us. And I don't know what, what the foliage is going to do to help us, but, but we pray for the hedge. And maybe that means something to you. Maybe that means protection. Maybe, maybe you have a, a picture of what that means. But some of us are repeating the phrases without the depth. And so we've grabbed onto phrases without the depth of prayer. And Jesus is saying, look, the, the, the phrases aren't going to fix it. It's a heart that's devoted to me. He says, look, don't think by using these spiritual words, you're gaining my ear. He says, God knows what you need before you even ask. And for some of us, we're practicing a death by talking. Like you've been in meetings where there's one person, maybe it's the boss, maybe it's some random person, and they're just talking, 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 and you're just like, okay, we get it, we get it, stop, stop. And we think that we're gaining God's favor just because we keep on reiterating things, and Jesus says, no. God knows what you need before you even ask it, and he's using um, a theological idea, and it's this, omniscience, all-knowing. God knows everything, 
He knows the past, the present, the future. He knows what you need before you open your mouth. Isaiah Isaiah 46 says it this way, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning, and he knows what you need. And so we don't need to come to him with filler words or or pseudo-spiritual language. We just need to come to him humbly. See, there's, a, there's some things that we can do in prayer that make our prayer very ineffective. And Jesus says, in contrast, I'm gonna give you four principles of powerful prayer. These are the four principles that will make your prayers powerful, that you can know for a fact that God is hearing your words as you speak them. And the first quality is this, that it's intimate, that it's intimate, Verse 9 says it this way, pray, like, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. William Law says this, prayer is the nearest approach to God. In prayer, we are coming in intimate contact with God. You're literally entering the throne room of God. And as you're entering there, there's two qualities that he holds. The first is that of a father. And that's a dramatic difference. To the Jewish people, they wouldn't call God Father. They would call him uh, Lord or Master, a distant name, more transcendent. They would say, God, you're transcendent. You're above us. I'm not intimate. You're transcendent. And so they would have this distance from God. And, and, And Jesus says, no, no, he's like a loving dad. Jesus would call him Abba, meaning daddy. He says, God is intimate with you. He is a good, loving father, but he is to be respected. He says, hallowed be your name, meaning holy, separate, unique, different. You, are, you, are, you have a holy name. Your name was your reputation, your renown, what you were known by. He says, you are intimate, but you are holy. I should respect you deeply. He says, when we come to his presence, we come to him into the king's presence. There was two theologians that were arguing about how to approach God. Is he transcendent above us or is he intimate or imminent among us? And so they had this argument. Uh, God, are, are, you, are you transcendent? Should we approach you like a, like a deity that, that, that has values that we just, we're, we're never near? And, and, and they were arguing and this one theologian said, no, he is transcendent. You can't just come into God's presence. It'd be like the president of the United States. You wouldn't just barge into the president's office and start making demands. And the other theologian responded with this. You would if you were his kids. Several years ago, um, with JFK, uh, there's some famous photos about JFK interacting with his children. This is one of them, where you see his son below the desk. And who knows what, what John F. Kennedy is dealing with at that moment. Maybe it's Cuban Missile Crisis or major issues. I mean, he's dealing with some pretty heavy things. And can you imagine his little son in the mix? Going, Daddy, can I have a cup of water? Daddy, can we play? Daddy, can we do... The most powerful position in the world. And yet he had this intimate relationship with his son crawling around his lap. Uh, a less famous photo, this is the one that I actually love the most, um, is, is his kids dancing in the Oval Office. I mean, I don't know if you're dancers, um, but with my kids, we dance in my house. We play music loud and we dance in circles. And, and there's, a, there's a reason for that. 
is because I'm a loving dad who loves to play with my kids. When you enter into God's presence, he is a father who loves you that can be approached and you can literally dance in his presence. I'm not saying we're going to dance later on. I'm just saying you can get into God's presence and he says, come, I want to hear your request. I want to be intimately connected with you. I want you to feel comfortable being you and having fun in my presence. I am a loving father who says, come with me, come into my presence. So the first part is that he's intimate. Secondly, that we need to be aligned. It says this in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God is a king and he has a kingdom. Meaning that he's in control, but he also has a will. Like he's in charge of everything and he has a will that he wants to work in this world. And so the next step is for us to be aligned with God's will. Soren Kierkegaard says, this, says it this way. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. He says, I want you to be changed to be aligned with my will. I want your will to be shifted so that you come to me intimately, but you then change to be aligned with what I want to work in the world. I ran track in college, as I said, and um, my, the first semester of my freshman year, it went horribly. We, we had a poor coach, and there was no respect for him as a coach. There was no respect on the team, and everything was a total mess. It was rough. And I went home that Christmas break, and I got a phone call um, in December, and, and they said, hey, we've, we've let that coach go, and we're bringing in a new guy. His name was Vidge, Coach Vidge. Um, he was 26 years old, so a very young guy, young coach. And so we didn't really know what to, what to do with him. Like, it, does he know what he's doing or doesn't? This is his first big job at a big-time school. And, and so we come back, and he sits each of us down and says, hey, I, I want to hear what you want to do as a runner. What's your goals? And so he set us down individually with meetings in his office. And I remember sitting in his office, and he said, well, what do you want to accomplish? And I said naively, I want to be a national champion. He said, okay. He says, if you want that, things are going to have to change. We're going to have to change how we act. We're going to have to change how we participate. Everything's going to change. I'm like, I'm going like what? And he goes, just wait for the next practice. Be ready for the change. And so we go to the next practice and we're just kind of a, a ragtag mess of guys and not even wearing the appropriate uniform, training uniform. And he goes, men, go change. He sends us back to the locker room. We go back in there and we get in our little short shorts and singlets like it was a very um, awkward time. And, uh, and so that was that. Was that. I, have, I have no photos to show you. Um, and, and so we got in our clothes and then we came back out and then he said, okay, how are you going to warm up? And we're just kind of like laying around, just a mess. And he goes, he goes get up, do a lot, uh, uh, run a lap, get warmed up. We're going to do drills. We're going to get ready. And he started changing systematically everything we did to approach the training. And some of the guys, they, did, they, they wanted nothing to do with it. They were like, hey, I'm out, and, and they quit. But those of us who stuck with it were changed dramatically as we were aligned to the will of this coach. And four of us became All-Americans during that transition. Because when you align yourself to the will of the right person, it changes everything. And when you align yourself to the will of God, let me tell you what, your life changes dramatically and, and you will become 
the man or woman God most wants you to be as you shift and realign to his will. So we're aligned. And thirdly, he wants us to be dependent. Verse 11 and 12 says it this way. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He says, I want my kids to know that they're dependent people, that they need me. He says, come to me with your needs, like an ask for your needs, not your greed, (laughs) ask for your need. And if you have a legitimate need, I'm glad to give it to you. I mean, God is a good dad and he is eager to say yes if we actually pray in alignment to his will. He's a good father. I have four kids, 10-year-old daughter, nine-year-old son, seven-year-old son, and a four-year-old daughter. And I'll tell you what, when my kids are humble and ask independence, yes is easy. You know, so, so if they're there and my four-year-old daughter goes, daddy, I can't reach the cups. Will you, will you help me grab a cup? I'm like, come, come on, baby. I got that for you, you know, and, and give it to her. If, if they ask something against my will, um, I'm not happy, you know? So they're like, daddy, can I have 30 cookies? No, you cannot. Daddy, can I have more broccoli? Yeah, baby, you have all the broccoli. You And like, yes is easy, right? If they're aligned with my will. But you know when I, when I don't want to say yes to my kids? When I most don't want to say yes to my kids? Is when they come in arrogance. When they come self-sufficient. When they say things like, I've got this. I don't need help. I'm fine. I, I want to pull back. And I want to say, I told you so, when it fails, right? And God's the same way. He said, when my kids come to me in dependence, yes is easy. So you come to me with your needs. I'm happy to answer yes as you pray. And then he says this, and that you ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us. You see, he says this truth, and it's, it's, it's profound yet simple, that we are in debt to God, that we have sin that separates us from him. And all sin creates a debt. So if you were to come over to my house for dinner, and y'all were to play football in my house, I, I would not recommend it, but if you were to do that, and you threw a football in my house, and you broke my lamp, you should not have done that. There's two ways I can solve the issue. I can say, you owe me $100 to replace that lamp. Or I can say, no big deal. I will pay the $100 to replace the lamp, right? And either way, there's a debt created that someone has to absorb. And even that's how we talk about sin. Like when someone does something against you, we, sit, we, we treat it like a debt, like, like you owe me an apology. Or I'm going to pay you back. Like we view sin when it's done against us or we do it like, like a debt is created that, that someone owes something as payment. And God says, it's exactly right. Every sin creates this cosmic debt in the universe. And here's the problem. You can't pay it. You don't have the resources to pay your debt. And so what God does is this. He says, I'm sending a perfect substitute to pay for the debt of the world. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, all sin is forgiven, all debts are paid because his perfect life perfectly covers every debt that we have. 
And so when we ask for forgiveness, what we're asking is, Jesus Christ, will you cover my sin? Will you cover my debt? And God says, that's what I'm talking about. Dependent kids that come to me, the answer is always yes. And if you put your faith alone in Christ alone for forgiveness of your sins, Jesus covers you. And the answer to that prayer is yes, come to me dependently. And the fourth quality that he lines out is this. These prayers are protected. God alone can protect his people. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God loves to protect his kids. When Moses was leading the people out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea and they come to this, this new area and they were, they were lost in sin. They made a golden calf. Things went bad quickly. And then God says to Moses, hey, I'm gonna start over. Like I will let those people all die and we'll start over with you, Moses. And then Moses says this, please don't, please forgive us. And then in verse 15, he says this, if your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses' plea to God is, God, will you protect us along the way? And we don't want to move without your spirit, without your presence leading the way. You know what I love about being part of this church? Is that we pray those kind of prayers. As we plan meetings and we plan direction, what we say is, God, if you want this, then you move us forward. God, if you don't want this, then let it stop right here in the planning stages. We don't want to move without your presence. We want you to guide every step of our way because if God is covering us, we know that we are protected and he will guide us into success. And so we're like, God, we do not want to move without you. And then he closes this section with the barrier. How can you ensure, even if you're praying the right way, that your prayer will not get heard? He says, there's a barrier that you need to recognize and deal with. He says in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. What he's saying is this, that that forgiveness is not a prerequisite to salvation. He's not saying that. But he's saying if if you're unwilling to forgive others, what it means is that you don't have a heart that knows you need to be forgiven. If I have an unwillingness to forgive someone else, what it means is that I've never really believed in Jesus as the sole payment for my sins. I don't really believe I need forgiveness. And he's saying, if that's your heart, just know you're you're separate from me. He says, forgiveness is the fuel to blessing. That's what he's saying. If you want my spirit, if you want my presence, forgiveness is the key. Because unity is what God is after. He wants his people to be unified. D.L. Moody was a famous um, evangelist and revivalist that traveled um, all over uh, some part of Europe and America. And, and, and thousands and thousands of people came to faith during that time of late 1890s and, and 1900s. And tons of people were coming to faith. And, and they would have these revivals in different cities around the world. And here's what he, he writes he says, I have noticed in our work 
that if we have gone to a town where there are three churches were in unity, um, there would be greater blessing than if one church was in sympathy. And if there were, had been 12 churches united, the blessing multiplied fourfold. It has always been in proportion to the spirit of unity that has been manifested. Where there are bickerings and divisions and where there's a spirit, uh, the spirit of unity is absent, there is very little blessing and praise. He says, if you want to stop the work of God, start fighting. If you want to stop the work of God, create divisions that you can't be resolved. If you want to stop the work of God, of God harbor unforgiveness in your hearts. In fact, Jesus just said that earlier in Matthew chapter 5. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Unforgiveness will stop the work of God. And every company knows this. Like if there's bickering and fighting and unforgiveness between two employees, you know that company can't go forward. Every team knows this. If there's fighting and bickering and unforgiveness, they can't move forward as one. Every group needs forgiveness and unity to move forward. And the same is true with the people of God. We need to forgive one another if God is gonna use this church in a powerful way. And let me tell you what, God has answered amazing prayers in the building of this church. Amazing prayers. So we're part of three campuses, right? Spring Branch, Cypress, and Tomball. The starting of Spring Branch came at tremendous answers to prayer. One of the reasons I wanted to come to Bayou City Fellowship is because the spirit of prayer was so vibrant and so powerful in this community. And I was like, I have, I have room to grow. And those men and women got on their knees and begged God to move. And great things happened. And then several years later, after they started, the people of Cyprus needed a place to meet. They started praying, God, help us to find a building and location. And, and Hobby Lobby bought office buildings and gave it to this church for a dollar. Who does that? God does that. As those men and women got on their knees and started praying, saying, God, please do what only you can do. And this campus, this campus, there's a group of people that, were, that wanted to see God move deeply in Tomball, wanted to see God change people's lives and draw them to himself. And, and they started gathering together and praying. And the people of Christbridge that were in this building saw that work and said, you know what? It would be great to unite behind what God's doing in that place came together and were able to meet and, and start building in this place. This church is young. When that mix. You know what's going to stop God from continuing to do great things here? If the spirit of unforgiveness stays. And so I don't know where you are. But there may be unforgiveness you have against your spouse. There may be unforgiveness that you're holding against a friend. There may be unforgiveness that we're holding against people within this church. 
There may be unforgiveness that we're holding against people outside of this church. And it may be that Jesus is saying to you, before I start answering your prayers, I need you to deal with that. And it doesn't mean that that person will forgive you or receive you. But it does mean that you can extend forgiveness and let God deal with that person. Paul says, as as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And so I don't know what barrier you might have in your life, what relational barrier you have, but I promise you it's probably rooted in some level of unforgiveness. So right now, I encourage you to think about that person, think about that name, think about what God may be asking you to do in response. Let me tell you what. God wants to do great things in this church. He has a future and a hope in this community. Amen? He wants to see marriages healed. Amen? He wants to see people saved. Amen? He wants to see revival break out in the community of Tomball that we might be a part of God's great work. Because God's not done with the work of this community and this church. Amen? So let's stand together. We're going to close in worship, but I want to lead us in prayer. And would you just extend your hands up? Just close your eyes, extend your hands up and say this, Lord, I am sorry that I've been harboring unforgiveness in my heart. Lord, I'm sorry that I have not loved people as you have loved people. I'm sorry if I have not extended grace in the way that I do extend grace. I'm sorry if I have not used my words to build up as I ought. I'm sorry if I have not been the man or woman you need me to be as I parent my children, as I, as I love my spouse. But Lord, I know as soon as I, the words leave my mouth, you're ready to forgive. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to do great things in and among this church. And I pray that the revival change would start right here with me. Jesus, make us into the people you need us to be. Let us be a people of deep prayer. And Lord, we are excited to see what you are going to do in our single solitary lives as we're devoted to you. And all God's people said, Amen.